Welcome to the Pastor's Roundtable, the podcast where we pull apart and deconstruct the habits, routines, and tactics of great men and women of the faith. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to episode 35 of the Pastor's Roundtable podcast. My name is Ryan Latham. I hope this conversation helps you discover some tips, tricks, and habits to help you grow yourself and your teams. This episode is brought to you by Impact Africa. Today, my guest is Aaron Holt. Aaron Holt has been in student ministries for over 20 years. He is an author, speaker, and the founder of Lead the Generation Conference. Lead the Generation is a ministry providing training and inspiration for youth pastors, volunteer youth workers, and student leaders through conferences, resources, and coaching. I want to say a big thank you for tuning in. Well, this year we have launched our brand new Enneagram workshop for churches, and we would love to partner with you. To get more information, please visit our website, renewedleadership.org. And I'd love to connect with you through social media. It's at Ryan Latham. Let me know how we can better serve you and your team. I know that many of you guys are thinking about missions trips, and and maybe it's too late to go this year with your team, but it's not too late to take a pre-trip to check out Impact Africa. Here, take a listen to the founder, Rich Franson. Hey everyone, Rich Franzen from Impact Africa here in Johannesburg, South Africa. We want to encourage you to tap in, find us at impactafrica.org and learn how we can serve you and your group, your church on how to have the most effective, the most potent, the most phenomenal mission trip you could imagine. Whether it's a 10 day trip or you've got students that want to come for three months, six months, 12 months, do a semester abroad. We're here to serve you guys to figure out how to make an impact on this world through your local body. Thank you so much. Visit them at impactafrica.org and mention the Pastors Roundtable podcast to get their best rates, dates, and housing. Rich is my guest on the next episode where we talk about when helping helps. So make sure to listen. Well, I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Aaron. So, uh, Aaron, welcome back to the podcast. You were actually a podcast guest before episode number 10. You talked about creating a small group culture, uh, mainly in the context of youth ministry. But I, uh, when you listen to it, it really is in the context of church at large. And so uh, I know even today we're going to talk a lot about youth ministry, but I'm sure it'll apply to people uh, in all kinds of ministries, leading um, uh, youth, you know, lead pastors, whatever. And so um, thanks for, for coming back. Glad to be here, man. Excited, excited to just have, hang out with you a little bit, Ryan, and also just share, talk about charts, talk about leadership, you know, stuff that we love and um, stuff that's making a difference in our world. So thanks for having yeah. me. Aaron, last time we talked, uh, again, episode number 10, if you want to jump back in and listen to that, great episode. Um, but since then, you know, at the time you were a local youth pastor mm-hmm. um, and you've transitioned into a different type of ministry, uh, running your own, your own nonprofit, uh, traveling, speaking, all kind of stuff. And so why don't you just, for those that maybe uh, didn't listen to it, uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit about your ministry journey as a youth pastor and what you're doing now and just kind of tell us how you got to where you're at. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in full-time ministry, uh, for a little over 20 years. Um, and, uh, most of that was student ministry. Um, uh, all of it was involved with student ministry to some degree, but about 15 or 16 years of that was, uh, being a youth pastor at the same church. Um, that was when you and I met Ryan and, um, 
uh, was there in Reading, Pennsylvania, been in Pennsylvania my whole life. Um, uh, married now for 23 years or, you know, just, just got to 23 this fall and we got three kids, uh, 20, 17 and 14, um, two dogs, you know, all that good stuff. But, um, we did a ton of student ministry, just loved it. It was just great. And then uh, about three years ago, we transitioned from uh, a full-time youth pastor staff uh, position at a church to launching a nonprofit ministry uh, called Lead the Generation. And uh, so Lead the Generation is focused on uh, training students in leadership um, and also uh, developing and coaching youth pastors across our nation. And so those are our two primary focuses. Um, we love teaching leadership, especially to students. Um, believe that if I, can, I, I believe if you can teach a student, you know, some basic leadership principles, um, they can help uh, chart their course for years to come. Um, and and also, you know, as a pastor, one of my great callings and great motivations is to to train students in leadership that are they're going to be the leaders, right? They, they're leading now. They're going to be the leaders of our churches and of our businesses and our local communities uh, for years to come. And so we want to plant those seeds and invest in them now. And so we do that um, through uh, some one-day conferences that we have uh, for students in particular. Um, and then we do a lot of coaching and training with youth pastors as well. And uh, so um, I, like you, Ryan, I've been the beneficiary of having a great youth pastor, right? And uh, you know the difference that a youth pastor makes. And, and even if, uh, you know, for those of you that are listening in, you, you probably will agree with this. Even if you uh, had the benefit of coming from a great family, uh, I did, and I'm grateful for that. Um, there were still many other godly mentors in my life, um, youth pastors being right at the top of the list uh, for those that have had tremendous impact on me. So so I believe our churches across the nation need youth ministry. We need youth pastors. And um, I'm passionate about training youth pastors, uh, full-time, part-time, bivocational, volunteer, whatever. Uh, if you're making a difference in the life of a student, then I, uh, I want to make a difference in your life and add value to you. So those are some of the big focuses of what we do as a nonprofit. That's awesome. So uh, you, know, you are leading Lead the Generation, which uh, you started when you were uh, at the local church and then... Yeah game and kind of its own identity. So tell us just a little bit about the conference, the heart behind it. What does it look like? Where, where are you guys at? Yeah. So, I mean, you, you're right. And, and um, we, we've been friends for years. So you, you kind of have tracked along with me as a friend through, you know, some of the, the development of all this. So we initially started Lead the Generation just as a one-day event. It was a one-day conference. We didn't know if we would ever do it again. We just wanted to try something really. And um, so we did it there at that local church where I was serving as a youth pastor. And um, we decided that we wanted to create a, a one day event that uh, in one day we were going to give you a combination of inspiration as well as practical instruction. Um, we wanted to price it so that not only um, could students come, um, but entire teams could come, you know, so the, the, the big part of the vision of the conference has always been, uh, we want a youth pastor, again, whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, we want you to be able to come and bring your entire leadership team with you, all of your adult leaders, all of your student leaders. And so we, 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 we price it as competitively as we can in order to make that possible. And we put it on Saturday, we put it on one day, all that stuff just to make it possible. So we did all that this one for, the, for that one day, that was the spring of 2016, when we had that very first conference. Um, and then lo and behold, in our lives, we had no idea, obviously God knew, but we, we were 
in the in this fall of 2016 we were making a transition we had no idea we didn't see it coming um in the process of that transition my pastor uh at the church really felt compelled um in regards to lead the generation he said to me and now i look back and realize how prophetic it was he said to me i really think you need to take this and do something with it i, I didn't know what i was going to do you know i was looking at you know should i go youth pastor again lead pastor church plant you know all this stuff and and um so we he released it we took it um we've now done um what are we we're coming up on conference number seven and eight next year <laughs> or maybe it's eight and nine i'm starting to lose count um we've probably seen um all combined over the years now we've probably seen close to three thousand adults and, and students come through one of our one-day conferences um and uh, it's just provided a great avenue for entire leadership teams from student ministries and from churches of all sizes so even even if you are, are are youth pastoring or pastoring at a large church that has a little bit more budget to work with it's it's still nearly impossible for you to be able to send your entire leadership team to a national level multi-day conference and those are great you know you've been to those ryan i've been to those we love those um that said it's still very expensive and so we've we've intentionally tried to craft our more regional event that is price-wise and and logistically um works well for teams as well as it works well for your bivocational part-time leaders um, so that's a big part of the conference. We've got two coming up next year, um, March 14th, 2020 in uh, Marlton, New Jersey, and then March 21st, 2020 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, both going to be phenomenal events. Uh, we're, we're super excited about it. Yeah, so why do you think it's so important for uh, a youth pastor to bring their entire team? Why do you think it's important for them to bring their, you know, their volunteers, their student leaders? Why is that so important? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great question. And, and um, the only way I can, I can really accurately answer it is, is describe how I felt as a youth pastor when I would go away to a conference and come back. And then I would try to transfer everything that God had done in my heart into the hearts of my adults and my students. And I couldn't do it. <laughs> I just couldn't, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm buzzing off the wall. Like, I saw this and we did this and, that, 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 and this was great. And I'm trying and everyone's like, yeah, okay cool i try showing pictures I, I i buy the videos and i bring them back and we'd sit and watch them together and um you know and you just can never fully um reproduce that sort of moment especially the inspirational pieces right and so um our very first conference was birthed out of me as a youth pastor being frustrated that and and mind you i was uh, i was in a good situation i was at a, a church with with a good resource and good budget given to me and i couldn't take all my leaders to the conferences that i would get to go to maybe once a year sometimes you know more and um so we were like you know let's just bring the party here and um so that that for me is it was really like the moment of saying man this is not just what my church needs this is what all churches need so um, more specific to your question, what you gain as a youth pastor when you're able to take your entire leadership team uh, away, whether it's for one day, whether it's for half day, you get joint enthusiasm, you get joint inspiration, you get to, to divide and conquer and you go to that breakout and you go to that breakout and you go there and then let's all come back and let's talk and let's discuss. You're building community, you're building relationship with your own team while at the same time your entire team is networking with the world of youth ministry in your region 
Um, I could go on and on, but there's a, there's a ton of great resources and benefits from having that experience as the team. And so that's why for us, we, we just place such a high value on that. Again, um, we price our conference for adults at 39 bucks and 19 bucks for students, right? So I don't know that you can get it any cheaper than that. But, but um, and we have to raise the funds for that and we underwrite that because obviously it costs more. But that said, the vision for us is we, we really want a church of any size to be able to bring their entire leadership team and experience the, the, uh, the passion and the excitement as well as the practical instruction altogether. Yeah, there's just so much that's, that you can't get when you're, you know, driving the couple hours it might be to get there, oh, yeah. out, the gas station, the, you know, eating burgers together on the way there, on the way back, processing yep. stories, you just, you just can't, can't uh, uh, simulate that, you know, on your own typically. And so, uh, but Aaron, you also not only are re- running your nonprofit, but you also wrote a book. Uh, and uh, I want to read it. It says, uh, you know, the book is called 2023. Uh, why the Psalm of Dying is a Guide for Living. And um, you came out of a, a pretty hard season of your life personally yeah. uh, with your family and uh, even the story of your transition. And I want to read uh, this section because I think it's uh, pretty profound what your friend told you uh, when you were going through that time. And I hope it's an encouragement to maybe someone who's listening right now who's maybe going through a hard time. Maybe you have a loss or maybe something was taken from you and Aaron will unpack that when I, when I finish reading this, but your friend told you this said, you're heading into a cave. There will be a time when it's dark and lonely. Just remember that caves were where Kings are made. David learned how to be a King while living in caves. God does some of his best work in the dark places of life. The dark season might feel like it will destroy you, but God will use it to develop you. Wow. That's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. So tell us a little bit, what was that dark season for you? Um, and then what kind of learned through that? Yeah, I mean, um, man, that, that, that quote and that thought, um, you know, was a phone call I was having with a buddy of mine. And I had called him um, probably a day or two after I had been released from my position at the church I was serving at. And uh, that was the beginning of our transition from full-time youth ministry and ultimately into what we're doing now. Um, We were shocked. We were surprised. We didn't see it coming. Um, There wasn't, um, at least in our thinking at the time, there was no buildup, you know, to it in the sense that like, yeah, we saw this come in or there's been a bunch of conversations that have kind of pointed to this is probably going to happen. So for us, um, because it was so shocking for us that, we were being released from the position. Uh, it, it was uh, full of all kinds of emotion. You know, um, we had been there for 15 and a half years. We had raised our kids there. Our son was coming into his senior year of high school. Um, and uh, our, our youngest daughter was just getting ready to come into the student ministry. And so um, that was summer of 2016. And so that really spiraled us into a, a dark season, you know, to put, to put it, you know, frankly, um, where we had tons of questions about um, why and what's next and where do we go from here and why is this happening, God? And, you know, all of the different wealth of human emotions that we all experience when we're dealing with loss and when we're dealing with some form of rejection or some form of hurt. And, um, you know, so lots of phone conversations. Uh, That one was pretty remarkable one 
in particular. And I remember when he said those words to me, um, and you, you, I don't, I don't know if I reference it in the book, but you know who it is. You, uh, you know, Mike Miller, right? Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And so it was uh, previously on the podcast as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Mike's a church planner up in Canada and traveled for years as an evangelist. And, and he had actually spoken at the very first lead the generation conference earlier that year. And that was the first time we had met and we had built a friendship, you know, just working together for that event. And so I had called him and I was just processing stuff with him. And he said something very similar to that on the phone. And I wrote it down. I'm taking notes and, you know, and, um, but man, God just, uh, he really used that season to, to bring a lot of development in our life. And, uh, we learned a lot of tremendous lessons in there about humility and about, um, forgiveness and about, um, restoring relationship and, and also about, um, I think in some degree, uh, that season probably deepened my, uh, my view of God and because it messed with my theology a little bit because it's, it's the longer you are a Christian. And, you know, I grew I, my dad was a pastor. I've, you know, kind of grown up in this my whole life PK and went into ministry. And I think that over time it's, it's easy to get comfortable and, it, and it's also easy to kind of take on some um, very American cultural, you know, theological <laughs> uh, views of God specifically in the area of like, you know, God, you're supposed to protect me from this, you know? Um, uh, sometimes we think it's like a gospel of avoidance, right? Like, like the gospel is there to help me avoid all of the difficult things in life. God, you're supposed to preserve me. You're supposed to protect me from this. God, I don't deserve this. I was in my situation, my context, God, I was faithful, you know, here and why, right? And so that's a, it's a real weak theology. Um, it's not just a gospel of avoidance. It's also a gospel of overcoming. And in order to overcome, you also have to go through some things. And God uses those cave seasons. He uses those dark moments. He uses those valley seasons, which is a lot of what the book is about, to develop us and to um, remind us of who he is and also remind us of the, the work that he does in our hearts and our lives when we, when we experience pain or when we experience loss or when we experience rejection. Um, so interestingly enough that the, the genesis of the book for me was a sermon series that we had done at, while I was still there at that church. And I had just fallen in love once again with Psalm 23. And um, I love that series. And, and um, when we entered into that season of, of difficulty in, in uh, the summer 2016, and as we processed through that for quite a while, we processing through that, um, I was starting to do some traveling. I was starting to speak and I found myself drawn back to that same sermon series. And I was going to some camps and some retreats and churches and doing like even multiple day, you know, series sermon series on Psalm 23. And I had a bunch of different people that would come up to me and say, when are you going to put all that in a book? And, um, so little by little, I started working on it and probably like most first time authors, I got discouraged and I wanted to give up and I got stuck and I wrote a chapter or two and I was done. And one of my buddies, uh, I was talking to and he had done some books and he said, send me what you got. I want to read it. And I sent it to him and he called me, he, we had played basketball together at college and he called me and kind of gave me a little bit of a, a butt kicking on the phone. Like you need to finish this. This is great. And so, um, but I was writing all of that as I was still in, in some degree in that season, as well as kind of coming out of that season. And so, um, 
I'm sure you noticed this, obviously, even from that quote, but there's, there's a lot of my heart and soul on those pages because it's, you know, we, we lived it out in so many ways. And so, um, yeah. And before that time with the transition, um, there was uh, a loss in your own family that you share about the loss of a child. And yeah. uh, you, want, you want to share a little bit about that too? Yeah, I mean, that was earlier. Uh, in our marriage, you know, my wife had a miscarriage, you know, after our, our second child, Emma, was born, you know, then it was several years later, we wanted to, you know, continue to grow our family, and um, boy, we were just shocked, and um, I mean, you never really prepare for that, right, and, you know, you don't, when you've already had two kids, you don't go into the third thinking that it will be any different than, than the first two, and, um, and uh, so, that was another moment for us where we were really introduced to to grief and to loss and to a, just a different level of understanding who God is and our relationship with him and how he provides for us and um, what it really means in Romans 8 when he says he's working all things together for good, right? It, it's not saying all things are good. It's saying he's working it for good. And um not during that season of the miscarriage, but during the, the, the summer of 2016, someone handed me a book by Sam Chan called Leadership Pain. Um, and um, if you haven't read it, uh, I'd encourage you to read it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a brilliant read. And at the same time, it's a difficult read because the, the premise of the book is that pain is the, is the school of development that God uses to prepare us for greater levels of influence as leaders. And so for me, I read through it twice and I could only ever really get through one chapter at a time, at which point I'd finish a chapter. And then I, 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 I felt like just throwing it against the wall. Like, I hate this book, you know, because who wants to read a book about how pain is good and God's going to use pain. And, and, and he says in the book, you should thank God for your painful experiences because it means God loves you and he wants to develop you. And I'm like, well, that's garbage. <laughs> but, but again, that's just a, it's a very American weakened form of theology that we've, 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 we've grasped onto. And so, um, so God's used a lot of those experiences of loss in our life, the miscarriage, um, and, um, and the loss of the position that, you know, we have been in for a long time. And, and some of the, even the friendships that we lost through that transition, God's used a lot of that to, um, to develop us and to deepen our relationship with, with one another, me and my wife, with our, our family, our kids, and um, with him. And um, so we're, we're finally getting to the point where we're able to say, God, we're grateful for um, what you took us through and uh, the difficulty of it. And uh, we're starting to see, you know, how God was using that and those difficult seasons to, um, what is it? Christine Kane says it. She says, what, God's always preparing you for what he's prepared for you, right? And uh, that'll preach well, but it doesn't, it doesn't always live out very kindly. <laughs> Yeah, those are tough. So maybe for the, the person that's going through a tough season right now, what encouragement would you give maybe from your own experiences or maybe something you mentioned in the book? What encouragement would you give to them uh, in this moment when, of pain and sorrow or loss or transition? What, you know, maybe something from the book or even just from your own life? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I guess my you know, I mean, everything is context, right? So everyone's situation is different or you're, you know, for those of you that are listening now, your, your life story is obviously unique to you and your loss or your pain or whatever current season you find yourself in is, 
is unique to you. It's unique to your past. It's unique to your present circumstance and context. It's, it's unique to your future goals and, and dreams and desires. Um, so that said, I, I can't give you anything specific, but I'll just, I'll just encourage you with this. Um, go back to the basics. You know, let me, let me just remind you, um, go back to the basics, the basics of being in the word, um, the basics of prayer, the basics of having godly friends to support you. Um, the quote that you read, Ryan, I mean, that's a godly friend, Mike Miller, um, you know, who just encouraged me and prayed with me. And he was one of dozens of phone calls and friends uh, and conversations that I had as I was journeying specifically through that, you know, season. And um, I have pages and pages and pages of things that I wrote down that people said to me during those times that, um, you know, I just cherish. And sometimes I even, I'll go back and even reread those. So I just would say, go, go back to the basics and, um, you know, get a, get a word from the word and speak it over your life until you believe it and, um, and speak it over your life until you not just believe it, but you begin to see it, you know? And so um, I think for me, those are probably some of the biggest things. And I, and I'll also say this too, that, that for, for some people going back to the basics means um, be willing to get whatever help you need. You know, so if that involves a therapist, if that involves a counselor, if that involves um, some form of life coaching, what is it that you need? Again, that's where like your loss or your grief or your season of difficulty is unique to you. And so what worked for one isn't necessarily applicable for another. And I think that's where we have to be willing to wrestle through some of the different a wealth of emotions and, and, and kind of mental blockades that, that can be formed in us during those difficult seasons. Um, and so that, for me, that's a part of going back to the basics too. Um, having some, you know, some professional help in areas that I need help uh, can, can be huge. That's one of the trends that I really appreciate that uh, has kind of changed is that idea of getting help from a professional therapist yeah. uh, as that that stigma of oh man only the weirdos or the the really really down out people get professional help from a therapist as that wall seems to have really broken down over the last few years and really has become um, commonplace and accepted uh, as a, a practice for people that are going through hard times. Yeah, you're making an investment in yourself, you know. So um, if if you especially those of you that are listening that are in a leadership role, you know, ministry, right? Um, you're in that leadership role, you're serving in ministry, um, whether you're a volunteer, whether you're part-time, whether you're full-time, you're doing that a large part because you feel called to it. And so, so something that I was reminded of over and over again by my friends, and so now I'll just, you know, I'll treat you like my friend and I'll remind you, your calling matters too much for you to not take care of yourself. There's too much loss for the kingdom of God as a whole if you don't take care of yourself and if you don't get the help that you need, especially if you're going through it right now. So let's just speak to you like you're my best friend or, or if you're younger, speak to you like I'm your dad. You matter too much. Your calling matters too much. We need you. And we don't just need you in your current state. We need you at the very best that you can be for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is bigger. It's bigger than just what you're going through. It's bigger than, than the church that you're even serving at or the role that you're currently playing. There's a kingdom of God impact that your life and your calling was meant to fulfill. And we can't lose you. 
And so you, you have to make whatever investment of time or even finance, whatever is needed into yourself in order to journey through those seasons and, and to be um, fulfilled the total calling and, and purpose that God has birthed in you from day one, right? That's what Jeremiah 1.5 says, right? Before I formed you in the womb. So translation, your parents made you, but God formed you. And with that comes your calling and comes a God-given purpose. And you're here in this world today and you have a purpose in this world today to fix a very specific problem within the kingdom of God. That's why you're here. Um, sorry, I just, I just started preaching. I'm, I apologize. You know, I think there's an organ playing in the background. I'm not sure. About <laughs> but uh, no, I just, I, I just, I mean, I just want to encourage somebody who's listening today, you know, don't give up. Um, keep, keep on moving forward and, um, and do what you need to do to, to journey through that difficult season. No, it's so good. It's so good. So, Aaron, you you travel around quite a bit to different churches, youth ministries around the nation. So what are some trends that you're seeing uh, maybe in the church at large or in youth ministry itself? What are some trends you're, you're seeing? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, in the youth ministry world, um, you know, I'm, I'm excited. There, there's some trends that excite me and there's some that concern me, right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm excited with a lot of the young leaders that I'm running into. I'm excited with um, the focus that they have on discipleship. I'm excited that, with the focus that they have on building relationships with students. I think there's a lot of really sharp young leaders out there that are really understanding the changes that, are, that have happened uh, in youth ministry or the changes that need to happen in order for us to be relevant to Gen Z kids, Generation Z, the kids that we're ministering to today. And so to me, that's, that's incredibly exciting. Um, part of that trend that I see, you know, I, I do so much coaching with youth pastors. We have um, about 40 youth pastors that we're currently coaching right now for this year. Next year, um, that number will probably be closer to 200 because of, you know, some of the things that we're doing with Lead the Generation uh, in coaching, coaching youth pastors in particular. Um, but that said, I think that's another trend I see where you, where youth pastors are starting to realize, um, I need more than just, um, some long distance mentors, some good books, some podcasts, some of my favorite preachers, and maybe a conference once a year. I need a community of youth pastors, uh, and coaches in my life that are going to speak into my life. And so I'm excited about that trend. I think that, um, that's great. Uh, on the flip side, I, I'm also running into a trend where, there's churches that have decided to take um, what I would call more of a, a corporate or CEO approach towards a lot of their ministries and youth ministry falls to the bottom of that chart because it, it, it um, it's not as glamorous as maybe some of the other, you know, aspects of church ministry and church culture that get so much attention. So it's, you know, it's not a well-polished service or a great band or, you know, great lights and shows and videos and graphic designs and all those things. And I love all that stuff. I mean, I, you have to kind of, right? If you do youth ministry your whole life, you have to. But um, but I think I've seen some churches start to head towards the trend of, we don't really need youth ministry. Uh, our Sunday morning services are so relevant anyways, and are so, you know, polished that students can get more out of this than they could out of, you know, youth ministry or whatever. And that's a trend that's deeply concerning to me because you're missing the whole point of youth ministry is it was never about the program, even though youth ministry did well. It's funny now, because Ryan, you and I see this, right? Right. What a lot of lead pastors are doing now on Sunday mornings is what youth ministries have been doing for years. <laughs> and now the lead because pastors- All those guys are now lead pastors. <laughs> right, right. All those youth pastors are now lead pastors, so now they're doing it, right? Um, and so now, but, so now we think, oh, because we're doing it on Sunday morning, we don't need youth ministry anymore, because 
you know, I did that for years and this is great. To me, I'm like, you know, you're missing the whole point of youth ministry. It was never about the program. It was always about the relationship. Because biblical truth doesn't travel well through a program. It travels best through a one-on-one relationship. That's what it's always been for student ministry. Yes, we leveraged and we used programs and, and, and relevant programs in order to maybe draw kids in or engage with them. But, but, but when it was all said and done, any success that any youth pastors ever had comes down to the, the common denominator and the base foundation of building relationships with students, um, becoming spiritual mentors, becoming spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers, right? That's what it's always been. And so this trend away from healthy, well-resourced youth ministry and a focus on that because we think we're accomplishing on Sunday morning is deeply concerning to me. We will never train the next generation. We'll never reach the next generation. We'll never fully develop the next generation because we have a polished Sunday morning service. I'm not saying it's not important. I think it is. I'm just saying we, we have to maintain our commitment to youth ministry done at the, at the grassroots relational level. And so a lot of what we're teaching and coaching in, in our ministry with lead the gen and a lot of my encouragement to lead pastors that I'm partnering with and, you know, in whatever context is along those lines. Yeah. And, and, you know, talking about the Sunday morning experience and connecting with the church. Uh, you, we were talking before we even started this, was you were talking about in your denomination, which is the Assemblies of God. Talk about those numbers of youth pastors that you shared with me. Yeah, I mean, deeply concerning to me. I'm, I, thanks for reminding me of that, Ryan. Um, you know, we, we uh, this is ultimately, this is the what you're talking about and what I'll share. This is the reason why we built the coaching network that we've built, you know, for coaching youth pastors. So in, in my tribe, you know, my, my denomination, the Sundays of God, um, and, I, and honestly, I don't have any reason to think these, these, these numbers are, are drastically different, you know, outside of the Sundays of God. But in my, in my denomination across our nation, just, just here in America, roughly 80% of our churches do not have a full-time youth pastor. Um, so you got about 20% that do, right? Um, roughly 50% of our churches have no weekly youth ministry happening at all. So they have no youth ministry, right? So, I mean, that's alarming. That's a catastrophic number to have that many of our churches that have no weekly youth ministry at all. Um, and, and then the difference there, you know, roughly about 30% of our churches that do have weekly youth ministry, but don't have a full-time youth ministry. That means their youth ministry is being run by a, a volunteer or a part-time or a bivocational youth pastor. Um, so uh, one of the biggest reasons why we felt motivated to build our, our coaching network, which is a, really a hybrid of live coaching with online training modules, right, um, is, uh, is I want to see that trend reversed. I want to see those numbers change drastically. Um, and so we, we set out to, to coach youth pastors, not just the full-time youth pastors, but the volunteer, the part-time bivocational youth pastor, um, we set out to be able to partner with the smaller, smaller church that doesn't have the budget to have a full-time youth pastor, but they still have six or eight or 10 kids in the youth ministry. Um, and so let's train that adult or that adult couple that's going to lead them. And let's, let's reach those students. We have hundreds of thousands, if not millions of students in our smaller churches all across the country. Um, and those adults, those volunteer or part-time bivocational youth pastors, those are the ones that have the most difficult time getting their hands on good, solid youth ministry training, 
partially because they don't have the time and, and partially because maybe, be, maybe because they, they didn't network with other full-time youth pastors or go to a school somewhere and get formal training. Um, they just, you know, there's not aware of what's out there. And so um, we're really trying to bring an awareness to that on, on one side, on another side, we're really trying to provide some solutions and answers for how we can effectively train all of our youth pastors across the board. Yeah. So with that, what advice would you give to maybe that young youth pastor just getting started or maybe that Bible vocational person? What's some advice that you give some tips um, on starting out and getting, and, and get, you know, mobilizing a youth ministry? Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, this is a little self-serving on my part, right. You know, but like, check out what we're doing, lead the generation.com. That's our website. Um, I'd love to have you consider being a part of one of our coaching groups and, um, but that said, the bigger point there, um, there's find a coach, get involved in the community, find some great content, right? Those are like, for me, the, the three C's that I think every youth pastor needs. You need a coach, you need someone who's, who's a step down the road further than you. They don't have, sometimes they don't even have to be much further down the road than you, maybe just a year or two, but, um, so get yourself a coach, um, whether that's a coaching group or an individual, get yourself a community. You need to know that there's other youth pastors or other volunteers in your in your local community that are doing it. Not not even in the same denomination, mind you, but just they love teenagers. Um, and then get yourself some good training content, right? So that's what we've tried to build with our coaching is the three C's there, the combination of that. There's other great nonprofits and parachurch ministries and organizations that have great resources. Um, I love them all. I think they're great. The more, the better, right? So if you want to connect with what some of you got national offices doing. If you want to connect with youth America, if you want to connect with youth for the nation, if you want to connect with orange, you know, I mean, those are some of the huge ones, but just get those three. Those are my biggest three tips for you. Get a coach, get a community, get some great content. Um, those are probably some of the first steps I'd recommend you take. So you talked about uh, as a youth pastor, what about two or three things that maybe as a youth pastor, they should be focusing in on, for their youth ministry, small groups, trips, whatever. What are some of those big three, two or three big pillars? You said, yeah. this is what you got to be focusing in on. So uh, taking it from, you know, the three C's for themselves, what are a couple of things that they should be focusing on their ministry? So my, my big two would be relationship and ownership. Relationship and ownership. So relationship, that, is, that, that for me defined is I'm going to create a family-like environment in my youth ministry. So again, take a, take a glimpse across the landscape of American culture. The family is under attack. The family is falling apart. Any given church and any given youth ministry on any given night that you're doing a service, you stand up in front of a group of students of any size, probably half of the kids that you're talking to come from a broken family or some form of dysfunctional family, even if they have both parents. For that reason, when I say build relationships with students, I'm not talking about we're friends. I'm talking about you as a godly adult positioning yourself to become a spiritual father or a spiritual mother in their lives. That's biblical. And I also think that is probably um, the best biblical model of discipleship, how truth travels from one generation to the next. It travels through a relationship. So one of the things I would always say to my leaders on a regular basis, I would say two, two statements that just became cultural statements for us in our youth ministry. One was short and simple. Kids genuinely won't speak to you about spiritual things until they know that they can speak to you about anything. That takes a relationship. So, so I have to have 
time and you know I'm, I'm i'm building this relationship secondly was this um i need to build a relationship that can bear the weight of spiritual truth so it's a relational bridge and as that bridge is built relationally then spiritual truth can take place from you know my heart or from my mind into theirs and so to me that's the most important aspect of any youth ministry is is there has to be a relational foundation there um whether it's a small youth ministry whether it's mid-sized whether it's large um, it doesn't really matter. It has to, it has to be relational. There has to be a culture there where specifically godly adults are building relationships with students. So to me, that's the relational piece. Secondly, I said ownership. So this is huge. I think it's, I think it was huge for any generation, but I think it's, it's, it's elevated for generation Z because generation Z, this is a, about 80% of Gen Z kids will tell you that they have an interest in one day starting their own business. So they have a very entrepreneurial mindset. Part of the reason for that is, is they're the first generation that they were born with one of these, you know, like they, they've, they've never known not having a massive amount of content at their disposal. As a result, their view of content is different than the millennial generation. So the millennials got, they got one of these about halfway through and they're like, so much content. This is amazing. I can watch everything. Right. Gen Z, they're like, they're not mesmerized by that anymore. They'd rather be on not the consuming side of it, but they'd rather be on the contributing side to it or the creating side of it. Um, or or um, Terry Parkman, who talks a lot about Gen Z stuff, he would say they want to be a publisher. So to me, all of those words, publishing, uh, creating, contributing, that to me, that's all wrapped up in the word ownership. So so now, now to your specific, like, give us some practical advice question. If you create a youth ministry that has high levels of relationship between godly adults and students, and then you create a youth ministry that allows for maximum ownership to be given to the student, those, those in my mind, that's the glue. Those two things are the glue that keeps students with you for many, many years. Uh, if you have, uh, if you, what you'll see, if you do youth ministry long enough, you'll see this pattern where um, when kids are junior hires, they come on a regular basis because their parents make them come. When they're ninth and 10th graders, they'll keep coming because if they have good relationship, they'll keep coming, right? When they hit about 11th grade or, or whenever they get a driver's license, if they don't have significant amounts of ownership in that youth ministry, they're gone. Because now there's a bunch of other opportunities out there for them now that they can drive or one of their friends can drive. You know, they have a bunch of, there's a lot more competition that you're dealing with at that point in a student's life. So. Those are two foundational things very practically for me that I'm always encouraging that we worked hard to do for you know, 20 some years doing student ministry and what we're encouraging others to do now. It's not brain science. Uh, it's not revolutionary. It's not profound. It's really just a reminder of, of what it really takes in order to, to run a healthy youth ministry. And that has to be a foundation of relationship between the godly adult and the student. And there has to be a high level of ownership that the students, they get to run things. They get to lead. I'm, I'm training them to, to lead and to, take ownership of their ministry and their faith. You got a couple real practical ways of helping students take that ownership. What is that, you know, real practical, what does yeah. that look like? Yeah, real practically, grab, grab your kids. You got 10 kids in your youth ministry, right? You know, for if you're in a, maybe in a smaller setting or even, you know, if you're in a larger setting, you know, grab a handful of kids, sit down, do a focus group. Find out what they like, find out what their interests are and see how, how well you could pair any of their current interests with a ministry endeavor right there in your student ministry, 
right? That's one real practical way of doing it, right? Instead of you as the adult saying, we're building a ministry and we need this and this and this and this and this, and you do this and you do this and you do this, just flip it. And what are you interested in? What do you think your friends would be interested in? And what would you love to see happen here uh, if you do like the, 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 the traditional Wednesday night midweek service, right? What would you like to see happen here, right? Flip it, let them speak into it, but then also allow them to have opportunities to own it. And, and you might come up with some really crazy ideas um, and they might not really fit your bubble or your box of what you think youth ministry should be, but they'll own it. And if they own it, they'll be excited about it and they'll more naturally want to invite their friends to come to it because they're the ones running it because they own it. Again, that's where I say, like, if your focus as an adult is I'm the godly adult building a relationship with a student and I want to give them ownership, then the end result of what the youth ministry looks like week to week is not as important to me as I'm building a relationship and I'm passing on spiritual truth. So I think a focus group, I think come up with a whole list of ways that students can serve, um, you know, giving students as much ownership as possible from the, the kid who's greeting kids coming in at the door to the kid who's, you know, playing guitar and leading worship to the kid who maybe is speaking or sharing a testimony to the kid who's um, leading them, maybe, maybe leading the small group with a couple of their friends and they're talking about the sermon from, from that night. Anything you can pass off to a student and give them ownership that those are some practical things I, I would say you should, you should explore those. So you uh, have a lot of leadership quotes and you've already dropped a couple of us with us. So if you were going to buy a billboard for the world to see, yeah, what, what are you putting up on that billboard for, for everyone driving past to see? So uh, yeah, I love this. I love this question. So um, one of my, uh, one of my favorite quotes is from, uh, Thomas Aquinas, right? The, the, uh, the, uh, I think he was a Catholic priest actually, but, um, but Thomas Aquinas said, uh, pray like everything depends on God and work like everything depends on you. And, uh, I, that boy, I don't, I don't even know when I heard it or read it the first time, but it's just kind of been plastered on my heart and, uh, stained on my brain ever since. Right. Um, because I think living in the tension or living in the balance of, of those, those two statements is a, is a really sweet spot to live in where I'm, I'm constantly learning and relearning uh, total and full surrender and dependency on God, right? Yet at the same time, I'm also taking full responsibility for my calling and for the purpose that God has, has birthed me into this world and into this particular time frame in the world. Right. Um, so I, I'm, I can't do it without God uh, and he doesn't want me to do it without him. He'll never, God will, will never allow us to build a life that doesn't grow in dependency. Right. You know, um, yet at the same time, I can't just sit back and do nothing because, um, purpose in my life, God's purpose in my life, is, is God's preference for my life, but it requires my participation, right? So it's, it's, not, it's not just, well, if God purposed it, then it's going to happen even if I just sit here and do nothing. So I, I think there's a balance there of like purpose requires my participation, it requires my work, it requires my grit, it requires my get up and try again, even if I failed over and over and over again, it requires that hard work. Yet at the same time, it's not my hard work that's actually going to be able to you know, help me achieve or 
or be as fruitful as I could be, um, it's going to be what God does through me. And so I'm going to be fully dependent on him. Um, that's, that's John 15, right? That's the vine. That's, that's I'm abiding in the vine. And, and it's only in my constant connection to, to the vine that I can produce fruit. And oh, by the way, the fruit isn't for me anyways. It's for everyone else in my life. I'm just the branch, right? I'm just the in-between. I'm just the, I'm, I'm living, the branch lives in the tension of the, of the fruit on one end and on the staying connected to the vine on the other end. And I think that's that quote to me kind of, uh, I don't know. I just try to live there, man. So that, I don't know, something like that. I throw that up on a billboard. Um, I, love it. I love it. I love it. So you mentioned leadership pain earlier. What's yeah. other, what's some other books, uh, resources that you might throw out there suggest? Oh man. I just finished reading emotionally healthy, um, uh, spirituality by uh, Pete, uh, Schizero. Um, that's, just wow that was just brilliant that's another one when you finish reading it you feel like yeah i probably should just start over and, and <laughs> start reading it again um i think uh, other than the bible it should be required reading that every that every christian reads a tale of three kings by gene edwards once a year like you just it just has to you probably should start your year out like every january when you do like your couple days of fasting or something like that you read the tale of three kings you know so um yeah, those would probably be some of the ones that I would, you know, jump on right away. So for you, what is, what is renewal? What does that look like? Was it that spending time with the Lord? What does that look like for you? Yeah. So uh, most recently it has been a crazy journey of um, my wife and I choosing to get out of bed crazy early just to spend a couple minutes praying with one another. So my, my wife is a, a second grade school teacher and um so for her like it's like she's up you know like 5 30 and that's when she needs to start getting ready for school in the day and everything like that and then she's getting home usually around 5 or 5 30 right and then it's a wide youth pastor so like all right yeah (laughs) so um man we have been trying to get up at five and pray together and um Sometimes it's really awesome. And sometimes we just sit there and try to keep each other awake, <laughs> just being real. And, and um, but, but as far as renewal goes, uh, it starts there for me. And then usually when her, you know, she, she heads up to get ready and I'm, you know, I'm, it's usually reading and it's, um, it's worship music and praying. I'm, I, um, I'm, I'm most naturally an introvert. And so I need that time to just kind of be by myself and sit there usually one of my dogs is uh, cuddled up under a blanket, you know, right beside me or something like that. But um, um, generally speaking, that's where it begins for me. Um, and um, I, I, th- I think beyond that, um, just uh, the second thing that I'd add to that for me personally is I've, I've wrestled um, most of my life with um, what I would describe as some pretty vicious mind games and just negative thinking patterns um, this is actually reminding me, as I'm saying, of another great book that I'd recommend. Um, the 4-8 Principle by Tommy Newberry is a brilliant read um, about the power of Philippians 4-8. Um, think, you know, what, whatever is pure, whatever's holy, whatever's right, you know, you probably know that verse. Um, uh, think on these things. And so that's another one that like, man, I need to read that book again, because um, renewal for me oftentimes has been disrupted or been unachievable in my life just because of perpetual daily negative thinking patterns, right? And so I love that 
that book because it's it's biblically based on one hand, but on the other hand, he unpacks a little bit of the science behind um, negative thinking patterns and how they create almost a, like it's it's like a thinking rut. If you if you think of like a, you know a rut in a road that's just been driven in by heavy trucks or by ice or snow or whatever, and you can't really get out of that rut. And that's been so um, talk about renewal. It's it's just been a renewal of thinking for me, which, um, I mean, that's what Romans 12, one and two says anyways, right. That we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Right. So he, Paul was referencing thinking and obviously Paul wrote Philippians four, eight as well. So he knew something many, many years ago that, uh, that our scientists are just starting to figure out, you know, which is the power of, um, of thinking biblically. Um, so another great book, but for me, it's a big part of my renewal too. Yeah. <clears throat> Any annual, annual retreats or uh, reviews or annual maybe patterns. I mean, you mentioned, you know, fasting, things like that. So anything you kind of do on an annual basis? Yeah. You know, like for me, I really like, I, part of this is just the season of our life as a family, like with my wife working and, and, and being, you know, like it's summer is really hard for us um, to like create like good renewal moments and vacations and stuff like that. Like, like right now, like I'm most of summer, I'm on the road traveling and speaking at camps and churches and stuff like that. And um, so I really try to wind down December right about this time, you know, when we're, when we're recording this podcast is, is usually for me when I'm trying to really wind down and take some extra time off. And so that would probably be a big part of my cycle. Um, It's just kind of a a significant slowdown period for a couple of weeks. Um, I haven't done much, um, with uh, things like personal prayer retreats and whatnot. I've always wanted to, I just haven't done it, you know, no excuses, just haven't done it. My dad, my dad did them all the time, man. He was, I'm going, going up to the mountain to pray, you know? So uh, I, I probably, probably something I need to, you know, just intentionally uh, block some time out for. Well, speaking of, of going to the mountains and praying, you went uh, and you hiked uh, Kilimanjaro. Oh, I did. I prayed all the way up that mountain and all the way down. <laughs> <laughs> I actually prayed uh, real hard. Just real quick, uh, as yeah. we wrap up here, Kilimanjaro. Just yeah. talk about it. Talk about that journey. Oh, Why you do it? Talk about that journey. What did you learn from it? So, like one of the most amazing experiences of my life. Um, um, my dad and I. So I've done it twice. Uh, my dad went the first time with with me. This was back in 2011. Um, we were raising money for um, an organization called World Serve, and they, uh, they they do a lot of clean water initiatives in East Africa, uh, water wells and whatnot. And um, so we were getting sponsored and raising money for that. And um, and uh, just so just incredible father son experience. Um, man, I I man, I took so many lessons away from that. Um, I I know just just leadership. Um, we talked earlier about the value of having a coach, you know, for in that, in the Kilimanjaro setting, it's the value of having a guide, somebody who's been there, someone who's just been one step up the mountain further than you, someone who knows what's coming up next, who can guide you or, or, you know, so that was a big piece. Um, A lot of, a lot of hiking Kilimanjaro is, has less to do. I mean, it's not, it's a hike. It's not like a, it's not like ice axe and, you know, scaling side of a cliff or anything crazy like that. Um, you're just hiking, but uh, because of the high altitude, you know, it's incredibly difficult on your body to acclimatize. So they pace you very intentionally and you paced slower than what you would naturally walk. So your natural gait in walking is much slower, is much faster than, than a Kilimanjaro hike. 
And that drives you batty at first because you're like, come on, you know. But see, there's, there's a good life lesson there, too, that, you know, there are, there are times and there are seasons in life where God is intentionally pacing you and he's, he's, he's bringing um, a, a slower gait to your season or to your journey than what you feel comfortable with. But it's because, again, back to something I said earlier, because God's preparing you for what he's prepared for you. So in a Kilimanjaro setting, your body is acclimatizing to the altitude. And so you have to go slower to allow room for that to happen. It can't happen quickly, you know? Um, and so there's some, there's a lot of lessons like that seasonally that I, I took from there. Um, and just the camaraderie, the encouragement of, of those around you, helping you make it to the top. And um, I know for me, for me and my dad personally, he, um, he, he wasn't able to, to make it to the summit. He had to turn back in the middle of the night on the very last summit push. And um, man, that was, that emotionally, that was just, so devastating for for both of us um and uh one of the guides took him down and and then i i continued on and but boy i learned a lot during that last couple hours of that climb just about you know the value of friends that support you and encourage you and and um man i can just go on and on and on i'm sorry i have to say you know all the time but um oh, i love it yeah, I love yeah it. incredible i mean i encourage anybody to go and and you know do it i know that organization i referenced world serve they actually still sponsor um Kilimanjaro climbs they have one coming up in January next month um it's probably too late at this point but uh they do those often um and it's all for the, uh, the cause of clean water well initiatives in uh in Kilimanjaro, am I correct in saying it's the highest mountain that you can uh hike uh in Africa it's the highest peak in Africa it's 19,320 feet um yeah and and um so they have you know there's like seven they call them the seven sisters. They're the highest mountain on every continent. Um, the other six are more of a climb. You know, it's more of the, you're roped in and, and uh, you know, that it's a totally different deal. A Kilimanjaro is the highest one that you can just hike. Um, still incredibly difficult and, and just cause of the altitude, you know, but um, incredible experience. That's Amazing. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Hey Aaron, thanks for joining us again, again, uh, episode 10, creating a small groups culture was phenomenal. Uh, this one uh, was so great as well. So thanks for joining us and uh, thanks for uh, sharing your life with us again. Thanks, man. Hi, Ryan. I love you, man. I appreciate what you're doing in ministry and life and just great to connect with you again. And, um, you know, thanks for uh, the opportunity to be a part of what you're doing in ministry on this podcast and just honored to uh, honored to share honored yep, to talk absolutely. a little bit about our story absolutely well hey thanks for joining us today and uh hopefully you guys can stay tuned for the next episode coming up soon here